Welcome to Did You Know, the podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the executives of colour who have led the way in the UK music business. Today we're in conversation with Colin Batzer, president and co-founder of the EGA Music Group. As with all our guests, we like to ask them why they chose the music industry. Here's what Colin had to say when we asked him. When I lost my dad, I was 10 years old and I wanted to be like a politician. I think I found a bit of solace into, into rap music. I saw um, Mike Tyson, I forget a fight, and he came out to um, Mama Said Knock You Out, I'm El Cool J. And I was a kid and I was just like, who's this? And then I just, I don't know, I just felt like, I just fell in love with the music really at first. And then um, someone gave me a Biggie Smalls tape. I heard like him and then I heard Mr. Jay-Z and I I just got into the music side of stuff. And then I started rapping as we all do with my boys and my friends. And then I just just became fascinated with um, how everyone makes money in music, really. I was just fascinated in royalties and ticket sales. And I just wanted to learn and then in the end, I just, yeah, I just picked the path and I kind of picked it at quite an early age, I think. Like, I think I was like 19. So I just really focused on that. That's all I've ever wanted to be. And here you are now. Tell us about the young Colin Batzer growing up, what he was like, what he was into. Also the music you were, I mean, you've given us a little taste of some of the things you were listening to, but the music that was really in and around you as you were growing up. As a young kid, um, I'm born and raised like in Tottenham. And my parents were really um, strong Africans. We didn't speak any English in the house, really, because they knew that I would speak English outside the house. So they so they taught me the language very early. And like my dad was a was a um, big politician back home, which I found out later. And then my mum was um, she was she was she was a banker. She was she was a PA, but she was she was she was quite known as well back in the country. In my household, it was obviously um, education was was the key. You know, it just had to be in your books, and a lot of family was around us. With music, my mum and dad, um, Uncle Felicuti, a lot of African jazz back then, which I, again I didn't know what these were back then. Yeah, they used to just play a lot of music. Like my mum used to play a lot of Bob Marley, Anita Baker, a lot of Marvin Gaye. Was really that was her that was her thing. That was her go to guy. Luther Vandross, like the just the usual suspects. Then I had older cousins, and but back home, as you know, they're like your siblings, really. And then there was into like Salt and Pepper and LL Cool J, as I said. There was into early rap, R and B as well. I was like a sponge, and I just take stuff in, really observe. And then obviously, when my when my dad passed at a very early age, I was ten years old, so I went to school in Ghana like for a couple of years. And then I really found myself and I realised who I was and who my dad was and like all the legacy he had and who my mum was and and really realised the home that I'd come from. And I learned a lot about myself over there and what I wanted to do. And yeah, just a normal boy in Africa. But, but I'm from London, but I'm, I'm in Africa. And then I came back here. And when you say that you learned about yourself, It'd be nice for you to explain the things that you found about yourself. I mean, you know, aside from your family history, and then what it was like for you coming back. 
and how the sense of your self-discovery helped you when you came back. I just knew who I was. I understood African, black. I understood like the culture of, of life, of what it really means to be a black man at a very early age because I was in a school in Africa with there was no white people. You know, it was just people that looked like me. So I was able to understand the differences and the similarities. And then when I came back, ironically, my mum put me in a white school. I was like the only black, I think there was two black boys who's, who's one of my closest friends now, actually. We were the only black boys in a year. I had a sense of purpose and a sense of who I was at a very young age. But I also was able to like adapt and make friends easily. And I was able to look past race, but also knowing where I'm from, you know what I mean? And so I really didn't take things that for granted and, and understood, okay, I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate to be getting a train and getting a bus and I've got pocket money and I can go cinema with any of my girlfriends or any of my friends. Whereas back home, it just wasn't, it just wasn't like that. It was, it was very much living, obviously like we lived a good life back there, but I also saw a lot of poverty like back in the villages and where some of my aunties and my uncles lived. So I had a sense of purpose at a very young age and I just wanted to make my mum proud of me, whether that was going to be through university or through building my own thing, whether that's sports or music. I just knew like, whatever I needed to do, I had to try and be the best at it because I'd, I knew where she had come from, you know, and I remember going to Kep Coast in, in Ghana and just going to the slave, the, 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 the castles as a kid. So I really... That really taught me a lot about who I am, where I'm from, and how lucky I am to be here, and also taught me treat everyone as equal. Yeah, it just gave me a sense of purpose. You mentioned at the top of, or at the start of our conversation, that there was a moment where politics nearly took over from music because of your, your father's involvement. Yeah. What stopped you from going down that route? Honestly, I rap music. <laughs> I, I should say, I should say, rap music became my new obsession. But um, that and as I came back over here, it's a bit difficult to be in politics as a as a black man in the UK. Whereas back home, I had like uncles that were ex finance ministers or ex ministers of education, or so I was around politics back home. But but when I came back here. I just um, felt that dream was unobtainable. So then I thought to myself, maybe I'll study here and go back and get into it. And if I'm totally honest, just fell in love with rap music. Like that just took, that became my Bible. That, be, that became my life. That, that became everything to me. Like it just was everything. Like I remember doing my GCSE maths and, and the Wu-Tang album came out and I had a choice, stay and revise because I, I had an hour left or go and get the album. And I was like, I'm getting this album. And I was like, me and my friend, um, I'm Ben, who's one of my best friends. Me and him rush, went and bought the album from Our Price, which a lot of these kids won't know what that is. Went, went to Our Price and went and got the album on cassette. And we got to, the, got to our exam and our exam was starting and I was looking through the credits and I was going to him, Ben, Nas is on six, song six. And, you know, and like, I'm about to start my maths exam which, if I didn't pass, I probably would have got some beats at home. But I was so fixated 
with Wu-Tang and their album. So yeah, the, the music just really took over me at that early age. Like I just, I was just so, I was so amazed in, in hip hop because obviously, as you know, Adrian, it's not just music hip hop, it's like a culture, it's a lifestyle. So I was just, it's like a religion, really. And as I say, I mean, even though you, you, you nearly missed the Massey Sam, clearly it didn't hurt you too much because you went to university. So you just tell us what you studied and, and how that panned out for you. I studied law and then I studied music business because I wasn't really, like, I wanted to be a music lawyer, really. So I'd done law for a bit and it, it got really difficult. And then I did music business and then um, I had an independent label while I was at uni with a few of my friends and it went left and there was some, like, some of the money went missing you know, like, I don't know what happened, but I couldn't, I wasn't able to finish my finish my degree. So I ended up um, stopping, and then that's when I said to myself, no, you know what, I'm going to focus on this music stuff. But then later on, I went back and done, I'd done, like, public relations, just to make my mum happy, and then <laughs> I, I did an MBA, and I found that too difficult, so I stopped. And then I... Um, I tried to do, this is, this is quite a funny story, I tried to do um, a master in music management and I went to the university and the woman said to me, I'm afraid I can't accept you on this course. And I was thinking, what? Why? And she said, you're too overqualified. Can we pay you to be a guest lecturer every month? And then my mum was in tears because she couldn't believe how far, how far I'd come. So the university journey was a bit of a funny one, but in the end, I, I ended up with a public relations a, a, a degree. Slash, slash diploma, sorry, yeah. And what did you learn, even from your limited time working on your music business degree? Were there things that you took from that that you still use now? Did you find it useful? I found out that the only way to do music is, is to be in it. I knew everything. I was on a first without studying because I was living it. I was doing my independent label. So the teacher's like, um, this is what you need to do. And I was like, no, you don't. This is what you need to do. So I was I was annoying the lecturers a bit. <laughs> and and what I found interesting was I was the only black kid on business. All the black kids were doing production because there was three degrees. There was, there was production, performance and business. But all the black kids were doing that production. And I still say to them, don't worry, I'll come manage you later. You know what I mean? And it actually taught me that the only way to do this business is to be in the business. There's no handbook or textbook that could teach you anything unless you want to be a lawyer or an accountant then you need to maybe know the, the technicalities and obviously from as long as how we've been doing it then you need to know something but it, it can't be taught by no one it's, it's about you going in head deep and learning on the fly so that's what I learned really but I was I was enjoying being the genius in the class because I knew everything I was just like they were getting bored of me like every question I would know the woman said to me I think you find it a bit too easy, you know. <laughs> so I used, to, I used to go and sit with the production kids and, right. and listen to their beats. There's a quote from yours that I read, which I, which I loved, and I'm not quite sure whether you were talking about this when you were making music, because obviously there was a point where you nearly got signed. Yes. But it was a quote, again, from this Music Week article, where you said, I love the music, but I wasn't too interested in making it, even though I was told I was pretty good. I was more concerned about how you made money and got paid that excited me more than making music for some weird reason. So I stopped rapping and learned about the business. How important, I mean, obviously you said that you sat with the production kids 
and told them you were going to manage them and you were the only blackface in a music class. That relation between, the, you know, everyone's focused in on the making the music. Quite often we forget about the business. Your advice, you know, in a quick-handed way about people handling their business, particularly young kids, that, you know, when they're actually out writing and producing. I was reading stories about people getting bumped, not having legal advice, not investing their money even wisely. So I always wanted to be that person that could help. You know what I mean? That that person that could be the one that could say, let's let's do this, let's strategize. And I think I think in this day and age, it's more important than ever for for all the artists to understand the business because all the artists are they're all like entrepreneurs and they're all brands, especially with social media. And it's important to know every aspect. And I and I'm a firm believer of every craft you do, try and know everything that you can. You know what I mean? Because you just you just never know when you might need it later on. But I was that was my motivation where I used to see a lot of my friends who were rappers or producers and they just they just weren't getting looked after. So my mentality was like instead of all of us trying to do that and rap on the block or be in the studio, I'm gonna be in the books, I'm gonna be in the paperwork, I'm gonna be in the internet, I'm gonna be the one that annoys the labels, I'm gonna be the one that knows everyone at every label. That's what I used to do. I used to just email everyone and just and just pretend that I was... Sometimes I, I pretend that I was lost. Sometimes I put on an African accent and I, and I pretend I was an African student trying to find work experience just to know who was who. So I just wanted to know everybody, you know what I mean? And I would ring people down. And funny enough, I get the same treatment now. <laughs> and sometimes I used to get upset, but then I realised, you know what, that's what I used to do to other people. So... Back in those days, which is not too long ago, to be fair, I just used to just see a lot of rappers, not enough business people, you know? And then I think I saw Mega Man. And I was like, that just, that just blew my mind. I was like, I, I want to be him. Even though he was rapping, I was just hearing stories that he was the brains behind the operation with Albert Samuel. And that was the stuff that would get my blood going. I was like, yeah, he's the guy. Because in, in England at that point, everybody was a rapper. There wasn't really many. And then from there, I learned about um, Darkus and Uncle Glenn. And I was just like, oh my God, like, wow. And then that, that just excited me. Like, they, they were almost like the rappers to me. I learned about people like, Nick Raphael and and Ferdy and I was like Nick Raphael was like 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 a man in London signed Jay Z. I was like, <laughs> boom. So those things started to be the things that excited me, you know, more than anything. Let's talk about your journey, your entry into the business because I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about your determination to ring people and just find that route in because. A lot of people don't know how difficult it is to get in. So tell us how you got your first break in, into the business. So I um I was in a group. The group like the group didn't work out. It broke up. Um then I managed this act, these four white rappers. I thought I made it. I was wearing suits and blazers thinking that I was I was Puff Daddy. And the the song didn't even get on channel U. So I was I was demoralized and then I must have, this is quite a funny story, I must have went to reach for, I can't remember what it was, but then wherever it was, a lot of books must have fell on me. And I was I was in a dark place. I was kind of demoralised. Like, my mum's upset, because, as you probably know, that African households are thinking, do you want to do music? Like, music? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
they couldn't like, I, I thought you are going to be a lawyer, I thought you were going to be a doctor, they was thinking you going to do music. My mum was in Ghana back and forth, so I must have fell down from the bookshelf and the books fell and then a thing called the Music Week directory must have hit me. So I saw it and I thought, oh my God. And then I, I must have bought it from somewhere, whatever. So I must have rang every single company in that directory just trying to get a job. And I ended up at the Mobos. That was my first stint, was in the Mobos. And I just went in there and I was the first one in and I was the last to leave. And I was just trying and I met some phenomenal people. That's, that's why I met the twins. You know what I mean? Like I met the twins at the Mobos, like as in Alex and Alec. And I met them and then, yeah, I was just at the Mobos and I was just, I was just focused to try and make my name there. And obviously like that didn't work out as well. So that was, I think I was there for like six months, but that was my first job in the business. After your time at the Mobos, what was your impression of the mainstream business? Had you seen enough to kind of form an opinion? Did you think it was something you could be a part of? I was just so hungry to be part of it that I wasn't even thinking about anything negative about it. I wasn't thinking about any opinion. I wasn't even judging it. I was just like, this is what I want to do. I I mean, I loved it. I was getting, I think I was getting like £10 a day, but I felt like I was getting like 100 you know, and I was there, I was the first one there and I was in the meetings and I thought this was me and then they just let me go and I was heartbroken and then like, and like two of my friends picked me up and they said to me, don't worry, this is like when Puffy left Uptown. You know, I'm sure you get your way through. But um, during, during when I was there, there was a guy called Alexis who run a training school and a digital, like a digital provider, which he was, which he was putting ringtones, like he, he was putting songs as ringtones on the website. So he must have, saw me and told me, oh, when you leave here, give me a call. And then that's when everything kind of, that's when everything started for me, really, after that. So let's talk about that journey, because genuinely, Colin, what you've done in the past 10 years, I mean, I've been lucky to have known you for 10 years or more now and kind of seen your journey. And, you know, I'm always, you know, as a guy that's been there before you, I'm always really proud of seeing the next generation come through. And it's, you know, you're just an, another of those guys that I'm really proud to see what you've done. So thank you, sir. Thank you. To tell the story of your journey and the pivotal moments and, and how, and how you've got to that point in your career where things really began to happen for you. So I joined UK street sounds and I was basically, um, I was a digital provider that sold ringtones and videos so I was just there and I was like, look, I'm here. Now I'm going to make my name. So I started off as a, as a scout, but my first signings were Sway and Swiss. So then I got, I got Sway's video on the site and I got Swiss's video on the site. So then I got promoted like two weeks later. And then I, I don't know, I think I signed Mike GLC or something. I can't remember. And then I got promoted again. And then I, I just kept signing the talent that was available. I think I'd, I think I'd done Tinchy as well. I think I'd, I, it was just everyone, everyone I was trying to put on this website, you know. And then um, my favourite artist, I think of all time in the UK, I think is Kano, really. But I also was in love with Ghetto. So then I met him through Merxton. And then that was my, that was my soiree into management. Even though... 
if I rewind that, the first artist that I really took into management was a female rapper by the name of Nole. Nole was the first person that I was working with and she kind of made me feel like, okay, and, and I met a lot of people because of her. And uh, she was so talented. She was amazing. She had a heart of gold. She was so real. It was good. But then when I started to work with Getz, that's when everything really changed for me in terms of coming up in the underground because he was a prominent MC at the time. And so that's what that started. It was me and him. So then where um, I met like Devlin, I met Wretch, I met all of these grime MCs. I grew up with Skepta and Jamie. So I was kind of in the circuit as well, but more on the management side and the, and the digital side. And then um, we were, I, I wanted to get a Gets video on Channel U. So I got a meeting with um, the owner, the Darren Platt. So I went to meet him and I had my last £500 in my pocket because I was going to bribe him to play the video more because I assumed <laughs> that's what you had to do. As I've gone down there, I'm sitting there with him and I'm like, yeah, what's going on? And he's like, where'd you work? And I said, oh, I work at UK Street Sounds. And he was like, I've always wondered how the hell is that website getting videos on their website way before me when, when I'm a TV station? He goes, is you in it? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an eager beaver. I'm a hustler. So he was thinking, this guy's getting on my nerves. So he was like, oh, it's you. So I was like, yeah. So then I said to him, look, I want to pay you some money so we, so we can play the Getz video a bit more. Now, by the way, Getz didn't know nothing about this. This was me trying to be... This <laughs> it's was on me the hustle. To, it was me on the hustle. So then we played the video and he was like, there was a dance version of the Getz song, which is which is sing for me. That... That was at the end of the video. So when he heard that, he was like, okay. He was like, don't worry about the money. I'll sign the song. And I was like, sign the song. He said, yeah. He said, I've got to do it at Universal. And I was like, oh, wow, cool. So we signed the song. It was our first single. At that point, it was my first time even working with a major. So, you know, I was in the building like this, <laughs> thinking that maybe I've made it and that. So we done the first song there and just didn't go according to plan because like the game wasn't where it is now and maybe it wasn't the right song to do but it was still an experience that we learned so then at that period it was like I felt I had to go into go and become a music a teacher in the training school that I told you about earlier which was owned by one of my business partners but um along my way I met a black guy by the name of Victor, who Uncle Adrian knows really well. I, I saw a black guy driving a Lotus, wearing suits. I want to be like that guy. And he was like my mentor. So he was part of the business, but he was the one that was always like believing in me. He was like, oh, you, one day you're going to be the man. And I was like, stop gassing me, man. I'm, I'm just trying to get out of the hood. <laughs> and, 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 and he was like, you're going to be the man one day. I can feel it. And he was always my, he was my cheerleader. He was my supporter. And it's, it's an honour that we're business partners now. And really, after my dad, he was like a father figure in, in my life, like always there for me, guiding me, everything. So me and him had built a strong relationship. So the gets thing was me and him because we were sort of partners without being without even saying we were partners. We were just rolling. So, so then when that didn't work, he was like, OK, I'm going to find us some money. We're going to do something. So he, so he went off and to do that. But then... I had built a relationship with Darren, who was the head of the, the owner of Channel U. Meaning, we're, meaning we're tight. 
he was taking me everywhere. And then we um, basically built a relationship. And then he said to me, oh, you know what? I'm tired of losing the artist, like, from my channel. So, and this is on a Friday. And on the Monday, I'm starting a new job as a lead music teacher. Amazing. At, at the training school where I was gonna be, I was gonna be doing music consultancy and teaching the kids about the business. Cool. So as me and him are walking to his car, he's like, "I want to start a label call," and I was like, "That's that's amazing." But I'm so deflated at this point. I'm just like, "Yeah, that's amazing." And then and then he said to me, "Why don't you do it with me?" And I was like, oh, "But I got my thing with Victor." And he goes, "No, no, no." He goes, "He goes, no, you you still have Victor." on the management thing, but you helped me run the label and you managed the artist and I signed them. And I was like, okay. And he goes, and he goes, and we shoot the videos and we put it on Channel U and we keep it moving, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, sounds good. And then he said to me, have you got any artist? And he said, ah, oh, there's an artist by the name of Griminal. He was trying to sign Griminal. So he was like, ah, oh, do you think that, do you think that we can get Griminal? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure we can, but it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. Of course, we're going to pay some money, whatever. And he said to me, on my channel, do you know what works? I said to him, no, not, not really. He was like, white rappers. White, white rappers seem to get a lot of vaults. And I was like, I think I've got the best one. He said, what do you mean? I said, his name Devlin. And he goes, oh, yeah? I said, yeah. So then I've called Devlin. I've gone, yo, Devs, I've got a little opportunity. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, but let's just try it. But I need a song from you. And Devlin was like, I think I made something, Unks. Like, I think I made something, but I'll send it to you. So he sent it to me, and I was like, yo, that's the one. It's called London City. And I was like, that's the one, that's the one, that's the one. I said to Darren, what do you think? He said, yeah, this is perfect. Let's shoot the video. So we, like, took a camcorder or something those days. We went in a club. We went outside Piccadilly Circus, shot a quick video, put it online, and then that was it. It was going crazy. Everyone was calling me. And then, um, so me and Victor was, we were managing Devlin and Darren had him on, on his label, but it was a production company and Darren was ready to upstream him to a major if he could. So then no labels were really, they weren't really like calling our phone. So it was, it was a bit like, oh mate, like, okay, cool. But we weren't, we weren't even sure how to speak to them. And, and I had a bit of a, I was a bit scarred with the with the get situation, so I was a bit like, oh, maybe we don't. And in those days, it wasn't like, oh, should we be independent? We were just we were, we were just hustling. And then um, we put out another song called, uh, I think, Community Outcast. You know, um, produced by a guy. He's called Ratchet. He's a good friend of ours, and he yeah, made the no, beat. Ratchet, yeah, from yeah. <laughs> still around now. Yeah, Ratchet. Ratchet made the beat. And like, we put it on, and it was it was a social commentary. It was a song dedicated to single mums, the unemployed, the pensioners. Like there was no rapper doing that stuff back then, so Devlin was like a commentator. So we put that up, and then all the labels went crazy. Atlantic were the first in. Max Lusada was like, sat us in the room, and he was just like, yeah. I'm not going to put Devlin on a Jay-Z song. I'm going to put Jay-Z on a Devlin song. So he's he's won the deal for me by then, you know what I mean? I'm I'm I'm, I'm ready to sign. Everything's cool. Let's go Valantic. And then they were really quite 
they were really, really forcing us. And then um, other labels were calling us. And then I was sitting in my um, sitting in my room. And then my, one of my good friends was um, Mr. Betty Scars, who was a good friend of mine from from the scene. So he called me like, "I can't be leaving me out." I said, "What are you talking about?" And he was like, "Yo, man, I'm hearing about Devlin. What the hell?" And I was like, oh, "Okay." And at that time, I'm not gonna lie, it was it was out of Atlantic with Max. Paul Samuels and Joe Barb, or it was going to be Semtex and right, Mercury. Okay. All good, pe- they all were, good yeah, people. They were, all good people. Yeah, they're all good. They were the ones that were really trying to force us. But Ben was my friend. Everyone had called me and said, oh, let's do a meeting in two days or come to the office. Where Ben was like, where are you now? Where are you now? And I was like, I'm in East. Like, I'm coming down there right now, Cole. He just drove down there. So I'm like, yes, uncle. And he's like, look, come meet the team. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And at that point, Ireland was like Man City. I mean, I want to say Liverpool, but people might argue. No, don't do that. Don't do that to me. I know. (laughs) I knew that would upset you. I know. But they were like, they were like Man City. They were like, they were like the best label ever. So I I was just like, look, Uncle Ben, cool, boom. So Atlantic said to me, we got a Jay Z concert. Do you want to come and meet him? So I was just like, cool. So I'm at my friend's house and I'm getting ready for the concert. I think it was it was at Ali Pali, which is quite near my house. So I'm there and then I get then someone calls me and I said, Hello? I said, Hi, this is Darkus. So I was like, Who? Like, is that Darkus? And I was like, What what the Darkus? And he, I was like, so I thought someone's winding me up here. And he was like, No, it's me. And he just laid it on Darkus style, heavy on me. <laughs> you ain't going nowhere, blah, blah, blah. I've spoken to Ben. You're coming to Ireland. I don't care. So, like, I even didn't go and see Atlantic because my head was gone. This is getting too much for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? These, these, are, these, are, these are people that I used to read about. So then in the end, um, I took Devlin down there and we met Darkus. We ended up signing there and that's when everything changed for me. And then we made the album with yourself. We were on it. We were on it. Uncle. We were on it. F block, yeah. remember F block with um yeah. Emily. Emily wrote all yeah. our hooks. Um, she's done like brainwash. Yeah. They're good times. Everything. It was, it was great to be a part yeah. of that. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's that was big for her as it was for I'm sure Devlin having her. You know, that was a real scene where people just kind of coming together and yeah. just working for the common good of everybody. And it was 100%. a wonderful time, and it's great to see how people kind of, at that point, just stepped off and kind of became unbelievably successful. I mean, Dev, yeah. know, Devlin had his great success around that time. Yeah. Obviously, Emily did her, her thing. So let's talk about you and Victor and EGA, because that's a massive part of clearly where you are now and your development to where you are now. So we should definitely give that story some props and talk about the label and the acts, things that you've developed over the years. Yeah, so we obviously we started with Dead Devlin as a um, as a management artist, and then we moved on, and then we done Meridian Dan, German Whip. We were managers at first, and then we had an intern who's a PA, who's now a third shareholder of the business, and the three of us really just went on a focus thing. And then where it really kicked off for us is when we joined the great folks at Caroline. So we so we wanted to just be different. Where everybody was in major labels, we wanted to be in distribution to kind of go back to to our grassroots, and we did that. And then 
three and a half years later, we've had an incredible run, which even we couldn't even fathom. And like we signed D Block Europe and Rema and H and I could keep going on millions. No, yeah, then, listen, yeah. seriously, keep going on because it's it's important that people know that, that what you've done and the, the journey you've taken and the acts that you're involved with because that's the source of inspiration for the next generation. So don't stop. Let them know. I think my first thing at Caroline was, um, I would think that, which was on uh, um, the Air Force remix, which was the first song from Drill to go in the top 20. So that was an important moment for me. And then D-Block Europe was like, that changed my life. That was like a, the biggest group now in rap music. And we have three gold albums and one silver and sold out two Ali Pallies and just sold out like the old two. And then signing someone, someone like Remo on distribution was big for me because every label in the world wanted to sign him because he was like the next kid, the future of, of Africa. And then um, having H having H um, leave a major and come to me on distribution, that was really big. And with Digger D, Digger D is quite special for me because, like, I had him on distribution, but then I was able to work with him on EGA, which we've done a JV with him. And he's really the one that's put the label on the map, you know, where now, now we have two top 40s, we have four gold singles. Like, he's someone that really put the label on the map for us. So he's someone that's really special to me and and I, I think he's the smartest rapper in the world because he just he just creates these viral moments and everyone seems to just like whoa. And then from there um there's an R and B singer that we developed whose name is Shana Bass. So yeah, that was what we was doing on on distribution. But as we got bigger we realised that we wanted to do more I was always fascinated, like, with Nick and Joe. Like, Nick Raphael and Joe Charriton. I was always big admirers of them from afar. And I love the way they run their label, which is really small, less is more. We go for the biggest things, but we do the less. So when I met them, um, there was an instant, like, connection with both of them. And even, like, Charlie, as in my Charlie Snook, her and Joe Charriton, they connected as like Charlie was a young young white lady and she felt like Joe could relate to her in the business. But me and Nick Raphael, we just became mentor and mentee. And we speak every day at 7.30 for like the last two years. And 7.30 in the morning, by the way. And he just really gave me a lot of confidence and and he wanted to work with me and I wanted to work with him. And, and then... David Joseph just made it happen for me, and he's he's also he's he's someone that also really like supported me and and believed in me and saw my come up in distribution and and allowed me to be me with my label. So what we done was we had a label deal with him, but we could go through Caroline, which is now Virgin, and go go for Capital, and I would also be a consultant for both. So when I when I started at Capital, it was like I wanted to bring over some real big acts. And I felt like H was a good fit for them. So we took H over to them and it was really, really good because H is an amazing artist. I think he's going to be maybe one of the biggest rappers ever. His talent is amazing. And, and, and I felt like Capital could take him international. But I still wanted to like impress them because I, I felt they felt all, all, all I could do is rap music. Even though I signed an indie band called I Wonder when I was on Ireland ages ago. 
as you remember, but I was focused on, on rap. So I found a girl through Caroline Virgin called Zoe Weiss, and she's a German pop star with a phenomenal voice. And I brought her to Capital too. And I truly believe that in the next two years, there's going to be the biggest artist in the world. That's my current setup at the moment. Have you ever felt that you felt any challenges, I mean, working within the business as, as a black man? And if so, can you speak to those? And how have you got over them, if you have? I, I think the challenges was, was when I signed a wonder, there was a perception of this is something that you don't know nothing about because it, it wasn't black music. I overcame it by having so much success in black music to, to wind up the people that were saying that. But I, I also learned a lot from that, as in, that's why I do Zoe Weiss with Nick and Joe. Even though like, she's a black artist, she's a, she's a pop star. So I just wanted to prove that I can do things that are outside my comfort zone. In terms of the main challenges, it's not really been with me, but it's been with the music, where I felt we've been looked over, whether that be at the Brits, whether that be at various award shows or various various things. And that, that's been my fight, really, where we are creating a music, and I know everyone always says, oh, it doesn't go outside the UK, it doesn't travel, but there's a lot of kids that would be in jail or be dead if it was for this music that gave them a path. And I just felt that it was overlooked and people wasn't respecting it. And I felt the struggles of being in black music rather than being a black person. So I was kind of always around strong black men. So I was always, let's say I was protected somehow or people had my back. So I, I never really felt it personally, but I felt it towards the music I was doing and towards the artists I'm representing. Even if they were white artists, the fact they were doing rap music, they were still pushed to the side. Now that I see where it is now, it's just the happiest feeling that I have. And there's still a long way to go, but we're making big inroads. Following on from that, you're you're a part of the Black Music Coalition. I know that's something that you're proud to be a part of and be a member of that board. Tell us what you would consider to be a success from the work you're doing as part of that Black Music Coalition. Equally importantly, it'd be great for you to explain what the Black Coalition is for those that don't know. I'm not a prominent member like the other great people that are there. I'm just happy to be involved, really. I think, like, people like Afriye and, and Shah and um, Kamali, what they're doing is out of this world. And I think it's just a movement for where Black executives black people can just come together and voice how they feel. And I think these lovely women, and alongside all the other great executives that are part of it, after the events of George Floyd and after the events of everything that happened, I think, and after even the year of COVID, I think everybody felt we need to have a place where we can all come to, like, like a sanctuary. And I feel these wonderful ladies... They created this, and I'm just there to support them. And I think the coalition's important and was needed, you know, as a place where people can voice their opinions. And what do you say to people that look at what's going on with initiatives like the Black Music Coalition and other industry in, in, initiatives and say it's it's purely window dressing, it's just people reacting to a situation and it's there but it has no real intent? Some people see it as 
some of us trying to get jobs, trying to use it. And, you know, it's easy for someone to say that they haven't been through what, what we've been through. It's not window dressing. It's not anything like that. It's just a, it's just, it's just a movement and a safe place for people. And everyone looks at things too deeply, you know. I am definitely not someone that believes someone should have a job because they're black. It should be because they're good. But I also think that we need to be treated as equal as all races. And unfortunately, that's not the case. It's getting much better. And it's great to have, like, Darkus as a black president. And now the twins are co-presidents of a black front line. So things are going in the right direction. I just think we needed a united voice. And that's all the coalition is. It's just a united voice. You've seen the inexorable rise of black music and its success and the prominence it's played within the business. Do you think that the rise and the economic power that black music has now should be reflected in the boardrooms with greater allowance for black voices? Without doubt. I still think we've got a long way to go, but I don't think there's... I don't think in the UK especially, what, what, what other genre is growing as fast as this? There's none. And I just feel, if you ask five young kids, white or black... What do they listen to? At least four of them are going to say, I listen to black music. Because it's the only music that is a lifestyle. It's, it's not a music, it's a culture. Like, it lives on social media. Like, we're not treated the same. Like, we're not on regional radio or we're not on certain radio formats, but we're competing at the highest level. It would be ignorant and silly for people not to give us a voice at the top table. But I also know that we've got a long way to go to create a lot more international stars and we're all working hard every day to try and do that. But we definitely deserve a seat at the table. Like, we've earned that. I mean, sorry, seats at the table. So you're working hard every day. You told us about some of the acts that you're you're currently involved in work alongside Nick and Joe over at Capitol Records. What does the next year hold for Colin Batzer and for EGA? The things that you're really kind of looking to kind of make it, you know, make a mark in the world. Um, on the Virgin side, is is D Block and Rema, and all my other acts to ensure that they are treated well. And then on my Capital side, um, Zoe Weiss and H, just just to fulfil their potential. But my my priority is. EGA and Diggity making him one of the biggest rappers in the world. I have a new artist by the name of Ars. I think he's going to be the future of this business. He's phenomenal. I have another artist, as in I said, Strana Bass, who I think is just going to be a voice, a voice for black women. So she's an important artist. It's not about sales, it's not about streams. It's about importance, you know? And really, I want the world to know how great Victor and Charlie are because without them, I'm nothing. I would like to build a label where them two are recognised and everyone knows how great they are as executives, because without them, I don't exist. So the plan is just to turn EGA into a powerhouse, but also to super serve my virgin and capital roles. But I am focused on this label more than anything else. And I do believe with Diggity, with ours, with Shana, I think we've got a good chance of doing something special. So what we always like to do, Colin, when we come to the end and we've, we've, we've taken up enough of your 
generous time. No, no, please. It's thank just, you, man. I feel honoured. Thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure. It's just kind of have a real quick fire. So who who provides you with the biggest inspiration in your life? Or who has provided you with the biggest inspiration in your life? My mum, single mum, raised me, taught me everything I know. What's been the proudest moment in your career today? In my career or, or in my life? You can choose either. I think in my life, I can say, when I retired, my mum, that was a proud day for me. And in my career, I think the fact that normally in my family is that you have to do law or economics, accounting. But now because of me, a lot of my youngest can do fashion, music, and use me as the example of of success. So that, that means a lot to me. What piece of advice would you give to a young person that's starting out in the business today? If it's your dream, give it everything. Give it all you got. The only guarantee in life is death. So why not give your dream everything you've got? And I, I just feel, yeah, and, 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 and surround yourself with positive energy. Just work your ass off because it's worth it and it feels good to work hard on something and reap the rewards. That's the, I think that's the best feeling. And what's your hope for the black men and women that are about to enter this business in the 21st century? I mean, given the work that you and others have done in Lane in opening the road for them. It's to carry on the legacy, but take it further. Like, do the stuff that, that I didn't do. Like, one of, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to sign Zoe Weiss was because Darker signed Amy Winehouse, and, and I wanted to further that. You know, just keep taking it further. Don't just do what we did take it to another level so before we finish i wanted to read something that you said recently as well which i thought was was fantastic and and very pertinent and you said at the end of the interview the greatest lesson of success is failure consistency is the key you you should try your best to hear everyone out because you just never know who's going to be the next president or superstar i'm grateful that i'm able to live my dream i feel there are some kids that would probably be in jail or dead if I didn't help their careers. So that makes me feel good. You don't die with money. You die with the impact that you have on people's lives. So finally, Colin, what would you like your legacy to be, given that statement? I'm exactly that. Because as I said before, I'm not going to die with the money or the plaques or the chart positions, but I I do want to die with people just saying, he done this for me. I could have been in jail I might have been dead, but because of his help or his his input in my career and my life, I was able to steer a different place. So it's more the impact I had on people's lives. That's all I care about more than anything. Colin, I, I can't think of a better place to leave it. Genuinely, I've it's been a pleasure to watch your journey. I know that you know that there is a lot more in your story, which you know I'll continue to to watch from afar. I'm sure we'll connect, but you know from myself and the Did You Know podcast, Colin Batzer, co-founder of EGA, president, A&R man, manager, all-round good person. Bless you for spending some time with us and thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much, sir. I'm Adrian Sykes. Thanks for listening to Did You Know, a Downstreet production. Our thanks to Colin for sharing his stories and to my partner in crime and true pioneer, Danny D. Thanks also to Sean Springer, our production team of Cass Denton and Lanique Swartz, 
and to Ella Ruby on the socials. Our theme tune is composed by Vega Brothers. Honourable mentions to Dave Roberts and Tim Ingham at MBW for their support. You'll soon be able to apply to be mentored by the guests of the Did You Know podcast. Keep listening for further information. Did You Know is available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe to never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. And look out for our next episode, where I'll be talking with Jade Richardson, A&R at Warner Records UK, about her remarkable journey and career to date. This was Did You Know. Until the next time.